Good morning. morning. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Karen Scharf, and I'm a member of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, UUWASA has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, 
ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online. So be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter, follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. I have a few announcements this morning. Please join us upstairs after today's service for our first Sunday's potluck hosted by the UU Wassa Adult Choir. After a delicious lunch, come down to the atrium and help us decorate our atrium and sanctuary for the holidays. A reminder that next Sunday, December 11th, at 11.45 a.m. following this Sunday service, our annual meeting of the congregation will be held in the sanctuary. We will vote on necessary church business during the course of the meeting. All members are allowed to vote. The annual meeting packet of packets of reports and information are available on the table in the atrium as are absentee ballots. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for this worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the, the words printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light the symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now please join us for our opening hymn. Number 301 in the gray hymnals, Touch the earth, reach the sky.
Lord, please remain standing for our affirmation. You'll find those words in your order of worship. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. Our doxology. This morning we want to share with you a story about finding light in the dark. It's titled Little Mole Finds Hope and was written by Glennis Nealist, illustrated by Sally Garland and published by Beaming Books. Little Mole was sad. He lay in his burrow deep underground and put his head in his paws. Little Mole, whatever's wrong, said Mama. I don't know, Mama, sniffed Little Mole, but I don't feel good inside. I'm sad. What you need is hope, said Mama. Hope. What's hope? Where do I find it? Come with me, Mama said, as she took hold of Little Mole's paw. Sometimes hope is hiding in the darkness. Sometimes it's hard to see, but it's always there. You just have to find it. Mama Mole led her son gently out of the dark burrow, up toward the light. But on their way out of the tunnel, Mama stopped. Do you see this bulb, Little Mole? she asked. Mama pointed to a bulb squashed in the dark earth. It was brown, wrinkled, and lifeless. It's dead, Mama, said Little Mole. No, my dear, Mama whispered softly. The bulb is not dead. Sometime soon, it'll feel the warmth of the sun, and it'll begin to grow and push its way out of the deep, cold earth. One day, this bulb will become a beautiful yellow daffodil. Close your eyes, Little Mole. Can you see it dancing in the wind? Yes, Mama, cried Little Mole. I see it. I see it. That's hope, Mama said. Little Mole and Mama reached the top of the burrow where the sun was shining. Look up, Little Mole, Mama said. What do you see? Little Mole looked up. He saw woodpeckers sitting in the trees, but the branches were bare. They stretched out like skeleton bones silhouetted against the sky. They're dead, Mama, said Little Mole. No, my dear, Mama whispered softly. The trees are not dead. One day soon, buds will appear, and these branches will be covered in bright green leaves. Close your eyes, Little Mole. Can you see them dancing in the wind? Yes, Mama, cried Little Mole. I see them. I see them. That is hope, Mama said. Little Mole and his Mama scurried along the edge of the woods until they came to Mr. Rabbit's garden. An old brown flower pot was lying on its side in the soil. Under the rim, something small and shriveled was hanging. It's dead, Mama, said Little Mole. You know, my dear, Mama whispered softly, this chrysalis is not dead. One day soon, the butterfly glowing and growing inside will burst out of her shell. She'll spread her wings and fly free among the flowers. Close your eyes, little mole, she said Mama. Can you see her dancing in the wind? Yes, Mama, cried little mole. I see her. I see her. 
That is hope, Mama said. Little Mole and Mama went home. I had a wonderful day, Mama, Little Mole said happily. Now I know that there's always hope, even in the darkest places. Mama smiled as she tucked Little Mole into bed, pulled the quilt under his chin, and kissed him goodnight. And Little Mole closed his eyes and fell fast asleep, dreaming of yellow daffodils, green trees, and beautiful butterflies dancing together in the wind. Thank you. And that is our story for today. Please join in blessing our children and youth to their groups this morning with May Peace Surround You. The words are printed in your order of worship. The mission and ministry of UUWASA is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support. to invite everyone to join me in the spirit of meditation and prayer. Start by putting your feet flat on the ground. If it is your custom to pray or meditate with your eyes closed, you're welcome to close them now. We'll start with an awareness of our bodies. Focus your awareness on the top of your head, 
As you slowly move your awareness down, let your jaw relax. Take a deep breath up and into your shoulders and slowly out. Take note of your heart as you pass by down into your stomach. Take a deep breath full into the base of your stomach and slowly out. Let us pray. God of hope and peace, spirit of wisdom and understanding of steadfastness and encouragement. Our gratitude for your many gifts opens our hearts and we plead for a world that is broken and bereft. Nightly we ask, where is the ruler who will judge the poor with righteousness and decide with fairness for the meek of the earth? We ask, where is the savior who will defend the cause of the poor give deliverance to the needy and crush the oppressor? Where is the one who will bring an end to war and violence? Where is the one who will wipe away all tears and comfort all who mourn? We pray that you will show us how to provide homes for those who have none, good schools where children can learn in safety, and neighborhoods where everyone lives and works in peace. We pray for wisdom to know how to use the earth's bounty wisely, to share what we produce so that all will have enough, to care for those unable to care for themselves. And we pray for justice and we pray for peace, for healing and for strength for ourselves, for those close to us, and for those we have never met. Now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for our prayer hymn, When We Are Singing, found on the blue insert in your order of worship.
Reading this poem is a poem entitled Advent by the poet Heather Crystal. I found this poem a few years ago in the New Yorker and I tucked it away for an occasion and I think today you'll do fine. The poet writes, It's hopeless, the stars, the books about stars. They can't help themselves and how could you not love them for it? Here in the new week with animals burying food and everything outlined and cold and even friends. It's hopeless, this mess, this season. All that is lost in tickets and strangers. What can I say? Only sitting here on this dark bench waiting for I don't know. I want this world to remain with me, this holy tumult, which does not know it loves me and you, dear friends. Spectacular driveways and orange, the vanishing year. There it ends our reading.
Well, how are you all doing? Three people said fine. That's good. How was your Thanksgiving? I missed you last week. My family in town. Everybody have a Christmas tree up yet? I don't have mine. Lots of Christmas trees up. So being that today is the second Sunday in the church's season of Advent, you all thought you'd get away without me mentioning John the Baptist this year. No one thought that, did you? I'm going to mention John the Baptist this morning, and so I took as my sermon text this morning Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, beginning in the first verse. I'll read it for you right now. It goes like this. In those days, John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths. Now John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. The food that he ate was locusts dipped in wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan and they confessed their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You are a brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes the one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Based off my reading of scripture, there is no more alien a figure to our contemporary ideas of getting ready for Christmas than John the Baptist. Just imagine with me for a moment if you were throwing a holiday party and your friend showed up at the front door without a shirt on, wearing only an animal fur skirt with a plate of boiled bugs and a scoop of honey with chunks of dead bees in it. So John the Baptist is out of step with our domesticated versions of Christmas as seen on stained glass and on television. What he does is he stubbornly resists everything we've come to expect of this season candles and shopping and cute little barn scenes and parties and ham and eggnog and fussing over the schedules. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not a Christmas elitist. The Mason household is filled with Christmas trappings. I bet a hundred bucks I probably love Christmas time more than most of you. But it's these weeks before Christmas that the church invites us to watch and wait with expectation. What it asks us to watch and wait for are the ways we, and the ways the world, fall short of our human calling. All that business we profess in this church about honoring inherent worth and protecting equality and preserving creation. 
So traditionally, Advent was symbolized by the image of a watchman. Watching is that still but active attention to the world within us and the world around us. Advent is the season we search to see what the divine is up to in our lives and what the divine is up to in the world. And this isn't a popular activity. In fact, this is kind of odd. Us moderns, we sort of like to distract ourselves. We want to resist this, though. That's what the church tells us to do. But the church doesn't tell us to resist this. What it tells us is that the resistance will not breed success, but that by resisting this tendency, we're actually acting in good faith. Faith in the possibility of a cosmic eruption, if you will, a purposeful good, a life so full it overflows. The first Unitarian church in the United States is King's Chapel in Boston. And going all the way back to the 1600s, what King's Chapel did is it invited its congregation to observe a faithful advent, not to suffer or prove oneself, but to open oneself to God's presence. And so if you read the letters to the congregation way back then, what it did is it asked people to look and see if they could find evidence of light in the darkness, if they could see evidence that life conquers death. The German theologian Karl Barth, who barely escaped the Nazis, said that church people are always Advent people. That is, we long for wrongs to be righted. We long for suffering to end. Advent people live between what is and what we hope and pray for. Just yesterday, I found an almost made-for-Advent series of stories in the New York Times. So the first story I read, and maybe some of you read it too, was a look at the president's White House state dinner that happened just this past Thursday. If you didn't read the story, or if you did read the story, then you know that the president of France and his wonderful wife were on hand for the occasion. In addition to the president of France and his wife, there were dozens of celebrities wearing $1,000 Oscar de la Renta dresses and Gucci suits. There were representatives from both parties, CEOs, fashion designers, there were rock stars. In fact, if you read the article, what it says is there was so much alcohol drunk that the White House staff struggled to find enough glasses to keep up with everyone's drinking. What the dinner consisted of is it consisted of same-day captured Maine lobster with beef and shallot marmalade and an orange chiffon cake. And all of this wonderful food was served atop gold filigree plates emblazoned with the Statue of Liberty. How many of you are jealous you didn't get an invitation to this party? So a page and a half away from this story was a detailed report on Moscow, Idaho, where a serial killer still runs free, terrorizing the citizens of Moscow, Idaho, because they fear, am I, or will someone I love be next? Right next to that story on Idaho was a report on violence impacting the LGBT community in New York City, gay men especially. Three stories. One on amazing wealth and privilege, beside two on terror and death. 
These two stories, or rather these three stories, showcase that we are citizens of a world that is out of, out of balance. But way down at the very bottom of the newspaper, there was an Advent story for the ages, and I'll share that with you now. It told of Ukraine's Shashedrik Children's Choir that was practicing for its Christmas concert. Now, the Shashedrik Children's Choir is composed of young Ukrainian singers. And for the past several months, what they've been doing is they have been practicing in churches and bomb shelters that they would run to whenever the air raid sirens would go off. And so in this article, what the kids talked about is they talked about what it's like to live without school, to live without church, to live without familiar city streets, all of it lost to the constant bombing of their country. Some of those kids talked about life without family members, life without friends, people they've lost to the violence of war. The 56 members, ages 11 to 25, who make up this choir are touring the world to raise money to rebuild their country. Think about that for a minute. Children singing around the world, trying to repair a measure of the world. What their goal is, is to raise enough money to get Ukraine's electricity and heat back on before millions of people face winter without food and without shelter. And for some of the members of this choir, what they said is that this choir is the only family I have left. And together, these young people, they navigate trauma and fear and physical injury. But just this past Thursday, the same day that the party was happening, the choir gathered in New York's Grand Central Station and they sang Carol of the Bells. And tonight in New York City, they will take the stage at Carnegie Hall and they will sing Advent and Christmas songs in front of a sold out crowd. One of these singers, a 14 year old girl named Kira, whose father was just shipped off to train for the military. But she said, Kira said, I hope that our songs and this choir can end the war. That the war will end so that my dad can come home and find the New York City souvenirs I want to surprise him with. The phrase most uttered in Advent is Marianatha, which translates to come Emmanuel. I've been thinking a lot about this phrase lately. I've been thinking about justice and judgment with all the chatter of high-profile indictments. I've been thinking about this article I read in The Economist on 1.5 million children in Ghana and the Ivory Coast who are forced every day to do dangerous work to produce chocolate for the desserts we'll eat in a couple weeks. I've been thinking about all the people in China who are basically under house arrest and the 1,000 Iranians who have been killed by their own military for protesting. Whenever I read about stuff like this, what I see are people who long for judgment, cosmic or earthbound, someone to wipe wickedness off the face of the earth. It seems to me that people who are poor and oppressed long for justice while people who have much to lose find ways to stay distracted. 
After all, if you're about to get a brand new Dyson vacuum or a trip to Cancun for Christmas, you probably don't want some cosmic event to happen before you get it. But what about all those people in Idaho who fear death? What about gay men in New York City? What about the kids in Ghana or the Ukrainian choir? It's people like this who cry, come Emmanuel. And it's our job as people of faith to join them in their cries. And this is what the character John the Baptist is all about. This is what the time before Christmas is all about. After all, what is the point of celebrating Christmas if we've been doing it ever since the week after Halloween? This is the time before joy and gladness, the time to set aside pretensions and our tendency to look around at everyone else and wonder, I wonder which of us is the evil one in the room. This is the time to search ourselves. This is the season the church asks us to consider the words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He said this, quote, The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either. What he says is that it cuts right through every human heart. And so what Advent means is that we take a good long look, not at someone else's deficiencies and faults, but at our own faults. This is what is meant by the axes laid at the foot of the tree. Because the axe is there, it's sharp. It's ready to cut down anything that does not produce life. And if ever there was a text made especially for Unitarians, it would certainly be the words of the prophet Isaiah, who said, prepare the way. This is what William Ellery Channing was preaching about every Sunday at the Arlington Street Church in Boston for 40 years. What he said every day is prepare the way for love, prepare the way for healing, prepare the way for wrongs made right. And you start by preparing that path in you. And what we encounter in the words of Isaiah and prophets of all ages is that the path begins with repentance. And I'm not talking about just saying, I'm sorry. How many times have you heard someone say, I'm sorry, just a few days before they keep on doing the very same thing they apologized for? The repentance that I'm talking about is the kind that comes with change. Change is evident not only to us, but change evident to our children, to our spouse, our coworkers, our fellow church members. The Greek word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to turn around, to go in another direction in search of healing. And there is no greater work in the life of the church than the work of reconciliation. And for theists like me, what we believe is that reconciliation is a gift of God. And what atheists and agnostics believe is that the work of reconciliation was born deep inside of us. It's a longing that was lodged in our hearts at birth. And it's a longing to reach out, to reach up. And on some level, all of us must accept that a power outside of ourselves is needed for us to change. We need a lover to inspire us, mentors to guide us, children to show us. I don't know that I could count the number of times I've seen couples separate 
and families fracture because nobody is willing to reconcile. I've even seen churches rip themselves apart because no one is willing to say, will you forgive me? Sometimes something in us needs to die in order to live. A branch needs to be pruned in order to grow. And it is this dying to each other that is just as much a part of life as breathing and sleeping. But knowing this doesn't make it easy. In the 1940s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he sat in a prison cell in Berlin and he wrote a letter to his mom and dad. It was on the occasion of the first Christmas he had spent away from home and this is what he wrote them. He said, dear mom and dad, nothing can fill the gap when we are away from those we love and it would be wrong to try and find anything to fill it. We must simply hold out and win through. That sounds very hard at first, but at the same time, it is a great consolation since leaving the gap unfilled preserves the bonds between us. It is nonsense to say that God fills the gap. He doesn't fill it, but keeps it empty so that our communion with each other may be kept alive, even at the cost of pain. Whenever I read Bonhoeffer's words, I wonder if this is another way of saying that by dying to one thing or one way of being, we are making room for life somewhere else, even if we don't know it. I wonder if this is what is meant by the axe at the trunk of the tree. I wonder if this is what's meant by preparing the way. I wonder if part of life is paring down so that love can fill the gaps. Tonight in New York, 56 children will sing joy to the world as bombs drop on their nation. Amid all that's wrong, their voices prove that life triumphs death, that light shines in darkness, proof that loves fill the gaps even when we least expect it. Amen. I invite you to rise in spirit or body for our closing hymn, 407. We're going to sit at the welcome table.
you're here with someone this morning, I invite you to reach out and take their hand. And if you're here alone, reach out with your heart. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat, relax, and enjoy the postlude, and join us upstairs for lunch. Sleep. 